Should you overreact to certain cold hitter starts? Should you bench some poorly performing pitchers? What stats should you look at to determine what makes a good buy low candidate? We'll answer these questions and more, plus an exciting announcement later on the show. That's all coming up next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and nice to get back into it. Uh, we had a couple-week break uh, from podcasting, celebrating Passover, a little bit of decompressing from the draft season, but uh, how was your holiday? Holiday was good. It's a good uh, recharge after the whole draft season. Um and now we can actually see how our teams are stacking up early on. And so far, so good, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a nice start to the season. Great to have baseball back. Uh, some teams going well. Some teams going very well. Uh, one or two teams not not doing as well. But, hey, that's, uh, that's what fantasy baseball is. And, you know, we're going to talk about overreacting and how to deal with some failure and, and, and hot streaks and whatnot on this show. It's going to be a fantastic episode. And joining us... From FantasticsInsiderBaseball.com, it's Sky Dombrowski. How are you, Sky? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I remember uh, after Tout Wars, I remember you went on your podcast and you're like, uh, "Oh, Ariel Cohen is the uh, the funniest guy you've ever met, you've ever met." <laughs> uh, so th- thanks for that. I- I'm actually a lot funnier in person. The uh, uh, my podcast uh, uh, presence here is more serious. Try to be smart, but yeah, I'm actually very loose and, and funny in uh, in person. So thanks for that. To thine own self be true, my friend. <laughs> there you go. So uh, I, before we start, I mean, uh, why don't you just tell us how uh, your Tout Wars experience was your first time doing it uh, and live an auction? That is, uh, what'd you think of the whole thing? Well, it was, it was great. Really. I, I really enjoyed the experience. Um, you know, my, my primary occupation is a ton of hours. So although I've been writing about baseball as a kind of a side gig for over 20 years now, I haven't put a ton of time in it until the last few years. Um, but you know, as my business has matured and, and my kids have gotten, uh, into adulthood, I've tried to put a little more time and effort into this. And it was just really neat to have this opportunity uh, really enjoyed it. Obviously, tough room, a lot of super intelligent people. Um, I'm enjoying the early season. I'm enjoying making the connections with a lot of other like-minded people. Yeah, and uh, we actually faced off in week one. We had a 10-day a ten day week to start. We're in the uh, head-to-head points league. A uh, little bit of back and forth. I did come out on top, but that was uh, that was a tough outing. Uh, it really was uh, a, a, a nice, uh, nice way to, to uh, get your feet wet in it, right? Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, you know, similar kind of thing last week where defending champ Frank got me by one relief outing. So I completely blame Sandy Alcantara at this point. He is the sole responsibility for both of my losses in the first two weeks. Well, we're going to talk about Sandy Alcantara and other cold starts to the year in our overreaction episode. Uh, I want to tell the audience we do have an announcement to make. Uh, later in the show, so stick around for that. Some good news uh, later, so there you go. But in our strategy section, 
And uh, we're going to do this sort of interwoven. We'll give some strategy and talk players mixed in this episode. But, uh, you know, sometimes you have players that come out of the gate really cold or really hot. The question is, how do you deal with them in fantasy? Both what do you do for your roster? How can you tell if they're legitimately cold and if they're a drop or a bench or whatever it is? Or if, hey... You know, they're going to be just fine. So we'll talk a bit about that. And let's start off with some cold hitters in terms of, you know, how do you know, Sky, you know, what to do with someone who has a cold start? How do you know not to overreact and drop them? How do you know when to bench a player, whether you should trade them away? Uh, I'm giving you a lot of questions here, but, uh, you know, what are your general thoughts on detecting and what to do with cold hitters? Well, I think that's, you know, those are a lot of questions that sort of come back to one main topic, which is how do we look at early season performance and how much weight do we give it and what do we give weight to? And I think that one of our, one of our things, one of my gimmicks actually on, on the uh, serious show that we've been doing for the last six, seven years is the National Day of Potential Concern. And obviously, like a lot of things, it's designed to get people to listen to particular shows, but Basically, what I'm looking at is for six weeks, I do my best to ignore the traditional data, you know, ERA, batting average, runs and RBIs. I do my best to not look at that and instead look at the underlying statistics to see, are is this player hitting as they normally do? Have they made improvements? Has there been some decline? And if so, where? And there are a handful of stats that I look at to do so, which I will get into as, as we talk here. But for me, it's really much more looking at what is underneath than looking at what we all are paying attention to that's scoring us points or not scoring us points. Yeah. I mean, we spent so much time into our draft prep. And to throw it away after just a couple of weeks in the season sounds like it could be an overreaction. Let's go to you, Ruvain. And, you know, what are your general thoughts about reacting to players uh, who have cold starts to start the season? Well, I think what um, what I do is I actually like to do the eye test. I like to see how they're playing. I like to see their 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 body actions, their their responses to how they're not performing well. Because you can learn a lot by how their confidence is. Baseball is a game of confidence, and when players have high confidence, they're going to do well, or they can turn. They have a better chance of turning around. But like for example, last year with uh, Jared Klenick. He, he had no confidence. He wasn't hitting. He went down to the minors. He does well, but then he comes back up. He just didn't have the confidence. So sometimes you need a fresh start, a new season. So now with the new season started, you can see people, uh, the players, um, you know, how they're going about their business, whether they're, quote, unquote, having fun, because sometimes that's all it takes. There are some underlying numbers that you're going to look for. You're going to look for, you know, are they walking a lot? Are they swinging at pitches out of the strike zone? You know, that, there are certain things you're going to look for. Are they pressing? Are they trying to go? opposite field instead of pulling the ball more or pulling the more instead of opposite field. There are many different things you can look for, but I think body language, you can learn so much from that. And you can, from hitters and pitchers, you can just learn their body language and you can see how they play. So sticking with what you mentioned, Sky, in terms of statistics um, and components. So what in the data are you looking for to verify whether a, a player, it's just a cold start, he'll be fine or whether, Hey, there's something up. Maybe we should think of him differently. Well, for talking hitters, there's basically three things we're looking at hitters and what they need to do to be successful at the major league level. For me, number one is can they identify a strike or a ball? So you're looking at things like chase rate and 
and how they manage the strike zone. Number two, can they make contact with the pitches that they deem to be strikes? So you're looking at swing strike rate and things like that. And then third is can they do damage when they make contact? You're looking at hard hit percentage, exit velocity, things like that. So really it's about controlling the plate appearance always for both the hitter and the pit hitter and the pitcher. And I want to look at are they doing that at the underlying level, regardless of what you're seeing with batting average and on base percentage and slugging percentage. Right. Anything to add, Ruvay? Yeah, you can also look at their BABIP and see if they're lucky or unlucky because a lot of these players, if you look at the numbers as, we, as we're going to go through some of the players, their BABIPs are either extremely high or extremely low. It's a very small sample size right now. They only had about three weeks. That BABIP should, in most cases, will normalize to their career norms. So a lot of times you shouldn't overreact so much because sometimes a player can be very um, lucky. Sometimes they can be very unlucky. It could be weather-based. It could be it's too cold. The ball's not flying out. But although it does seem like the ball is flying out a little bit more this year than last year, but still, the change in weather when the, when the summer comes, and especially with no shift now, because that, that also all the new rules, all these players are adapting to the new rules, especially I know we're going to talk about Juan Soto. I think he gets he gets affected by the rules. I really think he's one of the players that does. And it just takes time. They've only been doing this for three weeks. They have to figure it out a little bit more, get a little bit more comfort. And once they're in their comfort zone, then you'll see, um, you know, hopefully they'll get back to their norms. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you can also look at some matchups and see have they played better than average competition, especially for pitchers, right? Uh, are they playing worse than average competition? Things like that. So, okay, that's the stats, what we do. But, you know, you, you've rostered these players. You have them. Are there any players in and, – and what's your general rule, Sky, for when is it time to bench players this early on? maybe drop a player because obviously you're going to have some pickups, right? And, you know, you want to know who to cut to, to, to pick them up. You also want to say, okay, this guy hit 100 for this, the, the first three weeks. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll bench him. He's only got six, six games versus some other guy who has seven. Like what's your general criteria for how you manage your team this early in the season? Well, as you alluded to kind of in the opener there, I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you do six to eight weeks of preparation and go into a draft or go into an auction and you get these players and you have an idea of where they rank in your team's hierarchy and you throw it out the window after two or three weeks, I think that just, that's a, a fool's approach to team building. And so what, what you have is you've, you've got that bottom tier of your roster that you feel going in is maybe a little bit vulnerable to, all right, if I get somebody with a hot start, this is the guy that's probably going to go unless they're showing massive improvement here in the early going that's who's the low-hanging fruit on my roster so i think that you kind of make those decisions before they even come about and use kind of the if then analysis and say all right well if x happens then y is going to get benched or y is going to do this or typically in the first two or three weeks of the season you have injuries so you can just throw some guys in the dl and work it work it out that way yeah, I mean, if I'm buying a player in one of my first 10 picks, uh, call it like a $14, $15 player or more, uh, I'm going to run with him no matter what, right? If I have somebody who's less than $5 worth, well, then he could be part of the churn. There's going to be roster churn, so you know they're more expendable. Uh, the general rule that we give on this show is that uh, injuries aside and all things being equal, you know, you can drop a player from your roster – if you think that that player will not be picked up by somebody else immediately, right? If, oh, I can, well, is this guy expendable? Well, think. If I cut him, 
is somebody going to be interested? Is he a waiver wire pickup for somebody else? Uh, if if he's not, then he's safe to drop. Use your roster spot for a better player or for a, a different dart or, you know, uh, if that's that's when you have a very small opportunity cost there. If the player that you want to drop is going to be heavily considered by somebody, maybe think twice about dropping them. Obviously, there's, you know, you can't tell for sure if somebody's going to pick them up. And yes, we understand that your roster could have issues. It could have injury issues. Maybe you need a certain statistic more than others. You've got too many steals and you need some power. Sure. Those things obviously have to be factored in, but the litmus test that I like to do is how much is this person interested? And I remember, you know, just last week, Ruvain, we were thinking about dropping Jeffrey Springs in the NFBC format, and the information we had to date is that probably out two months, but we don't know exactly, and we made the determination that Jeffrey Springs, nobody's picking him up next week. So we can drop him, and that's really what the test was. Two months for him was enough. Whereas Jose Altuve, who's on our squad, also we're holding him because if we drop Jose Altuve, somebody's picking him up because he's pretty sure to come back. Whereas Springs would not be. Is that your general sense, Ruvain? Yes. Plus, also the bottom end of your roster, the last three, four spots should be churnable. Those spots are worth maybe a dollar or less than a dollar in, in the in the actual auction. If you're holding on to them because you're thinking, oh, maybe this prospect will come up, that's great. But you're going to have a dead spot if it's or, or you get negative value from that. It's hard to hold on to those prospects that are going to be coming up soon if you need the space because one of your players higher up are not performing. How long can you go with a player not performing, not having a backup for him, and not falling too far behind in your standings? Because that's the biggest problem. Can you make up what you're falling behind now? And it, it's it's a it's a hard it's a it's a very hard decision because you you put so much time into the draft. You try to figure out these guys at the end of the draft that you want to finish out your bench. You want a perfect. You want a perfect, and then you get married to these guys at the bottom of your roster. You don't need that. Those guys can be churned, and they should be churned, and that's how you can bench one of the guys who are not performing for a week or two, put another guy in, because if the guy's not performing, the guy you pick up, who knows? If he's a hot guy, then he'll, then he'll perform, and that's all you need for now. So let's talk a little bit of, about trading. Uh, Sky, how do you know when uh, you can trade for a cold player that you know perhaps they're actually uh, you know not as bad as you think and maybe a frustrated owner wants to get rid of. How can you identify that? And how can you identify players that maybe have name recognition on your team are cold and you think this is a great time to get out? Yeah, I'll take the latter one first because I think that goes to kind of your explanation about when players would be droppable. And if you've made a decision looking at the underlying stats, looking at uh, players' body language, you know, whatever you're taking a look at to, to make your own determination about likelihood of success going forward, and you say, you know what, I'm not really enamored with this guy anymore, but I think somebody will pick him up, that's the trade candidate. If you don't think somebody's going to pick him up, in the case of Jeffrey Springs right now, where he may very well be out for the year, then, you know, drop him. That's It's safer to do that, I think. So as far as trade targets... It's, it's the same thing. When I'm looking at cold players, I'm not just looking at my own roster. I'm looking around the league and seeing, all right, you know, we'll look at uh, Jake McCarthy, just as, as an example. I look at him right now and I think, you know what? I don't think I'm interested. I'm dropping him if I have him. I'm not trying to go and, and, and track him. But I look at somebody else, like some of the traditional cold starters. There's a few first basemen around the league that are very traditionally poor April hitters. 
And I think, you know, I'm going to be prodding this owner um, because they're looking at this guy and, you know, he's 36 years old and, you know, he, he may not know that his career April ops is 60 points lower than any other month. And why would I not try to take advantage of that? Let's talk a couple of specific players. Uh, you mentioned Jake McCarthy. Uh, unfortunately, or or maybe it'll be fortunately, hopefully, I have Jake McCarthy on quite a few rosters. He was one of my, uh, I'm not going to say target because I don't really have targets, but he was uh, a key component because I thought his price was good and I thought he would steal a lot of bases. And at least that's what the ATC projections said. Um, not having a very, very, very good uh, good start to the season, to say the least. Um, well, uh, <laughs> question is, what do you do with a guy like that? Now, he's not a player who's been around for a while. He had a very good second half last year. Is, is, what do you do with a type like that? Let's go to Ruvain first, since I share a bunch of those teams with you. What are we doing with Jake McCarthy? I mean, we spent $15, $18 on him. I guess you just have to ride him a little bit. Do we bench him until he gets straight? I mean, certainly the Diamondbacks are starting to bench him, right? So shouldn't we? I don't think so. I mean, he's high enough to a guy, and he's a guy who can break out and steal a couple bases in a week or three or four bases in a week, that if he gets hot, I don't want him on my bench when he gets hot. It's like it's like having the John Birdie on your bench. You don't know when he's going to steal those five bases suddenly. He can do that, and he did bat third last year, so the Diamondbacks do have some confidence in him. But if you look at some of his underlying numbers, his BABIP is 186, which means he is extremely unlucky right now. His walk rate's the same. His K rate's down. But if you look at the underlying numbers, he's 15% more of the time. He's trying to go opposite field than normal. So I'm a little bit not too concerned with him, only because of the fact that he's a young player, and I think the league has corrected for the way he played last year. And I think it's on him now to make the correction back to get to the player that he was. I think it's possible, and especially with that low BABIP, if he gets playing time, he will. I think he still could turn it around. Do you play him? I think you have to because the options in outfield, if you go on the waiver wire at the back of your bench, they're not that much better. I don't know. I think I'd be more comfortable playing him than having, you know, playing another, uh, a deeper outfielder. So I'm I'm going to probably keep him trading him. I would not trade low on him because if you're going to trade him, you're actually going to lose value. What are you going to get for him? I mean, you're gonna your offers aren't going to be that great. So I think you're really stuck with playing him. A little bit longer. It's not the end of April yet. He still has time. If you still like this, let's say mid-May, then I'd already consider cutting bait and see what else is out there. Yeah. So he he's not he's not droppable because of the investment, and he's not tradable because he has no trade value. By the way, you know you mentioned his BABIP. His strikeout rate is sixteen percent. That is very very good contact rate. So and he's a speedster. So you usually see speedsters having BABIPs over three hundred even. Uh, seems to me like he's getting unlucky, and you should see him to start getting on base soon. I Maybe I suspect a, a hidden injury. I mean, they're, they're sitting him more. Maybe they're resting him. I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah, I'm hopeful that maybe he'll get right a little bit later in the year. Uh, the, the 35 or 40 steals that we originally projected, hoped for, probably not going to happen. Uh, if, he hit, if he has 25 stolen bases, I think that's a win for now. Uh, what are you doing with uh, Jake McCarthy, and what's your feeling about him, Sky? I'm a little concerned about McCarthy, to be honest, because he, he looks like he has the potential to turn into one of these you-can't-steal-first guys. He definitely has a ton of speed, and he has improved the contact chops this year. I mean, the chase rate, 
and the uh, swing strike rate are both heading in the right direction, but he never had much in the way of power. And, you know, he, the exit velocity is down another couple miles an hour this year, down into the Victor Robles territory, which is kind of the danger zone. Uh, I think that at best, McCarthy's going to prove to be a decent singles hitter who can give you a good average, score some runs, and steal some bases. There was definitely hope for more prior to the season, I think. But the second problem, and this is, it's sort of a twofold issue when you're looking at guys that are struggling early in the season. You've got your guys, like your, your stars and your very solid players, that their playing time is secure no matter what happens. You know, they go through a bad April, even a bad six to eight weeks. The team's going to keep trotting them out there at least six days out of seven. But you get a situation like you have in Arizona where there's a ton of young guys clamoring for playing time. And what's happened the last few weeks is McCarthy's sort of fallen behind Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Lourdes Gurriel, and Paven Smith now has come back and gotten hot. So there's only four spots for playing time there. And McCarthy looks like, in the D-backs' mind, option five to me over the last week or two. And I think that you've got Kyle Lewis looming as well, who they seem to like for some reason. I think McCarthy's a little vulnerable. So I'm on the verge of cutting him, personally. Good analysis, and that doesn't bode well for our fantasy teams, but, you know, that's what it is. Not I don't really know. No, I don't <laughs> have him in tout wars against uh, against you, but, uh, uh, yeah. Well, he's worth much less in tout because yeah. of the lack of the yeah. steals category itself. Correct. So. Well, you actually you actually mentioned Paven Smith. He's going to steal time a little bit maybe from Christian Walker also because Christian Walker's been underperforming. You want him for power. His batting average right now, you know, it's it's 194. He's a career 245 hitter, so that's not that bad. But his batting also is 204. His line drive rate is fine. The problem is is that will he continue to get the playing time? Because when Paven Smith came up a couple of years ago, he he was he went on a tear. And if he can continue this. Christian Walker may lose a lot of playing time because that's first base, and there's no one else out there to play first base. So he's mainly those two young guys. Oh, I don't think Walker's in danger of losing playing time. I think that he'll get through it. I think that uh, he was overperforming last year when he had 36 homers, uh, but he, he's a 30 home run guy. I'm less worried about. I'm much less worried about Christian Walker than McCarthy. Do you? Do you agree, Sky? Yeah, I, you know, I am. And if only because I sort of alluded to this a few minutes ago, Walker is one of those first basemen that is just, for whatever reason, a traditionally very slow starter. You know, we remember what he did at the end of the year last year, 36 home runs, kind of almost a breakout season at age 30. He was hitting 149, 229, 347 last April. Even worse, he's hitting this year, I think. And career, he's a 214 hitter in the month of April. It's his lowest ops month by 33. So He's not as bad as one of the other guys that I was talking about uh, that we'll get to, but Walker is a traditionally very slow starter. And I think the D-backs, they have a pretty good analytics department. I think they know this. And I do feel like he's quite a bit less vulnerable to playing time loss than Jake McCarthy. If you go four weeks from now and McCarthy is heated up a bit and Walker is still at this level, then I'll be singing a different tune, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And the Diamondbacks seem like they want to try to make a run. They've had a nice start to the season. Uh, they just got rid of Madison Bumgarner, so they're willing to eat that money now because they want to actually compete. I'm sure Brandon Fott is coming up, a good guy to know. Um, so, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Let's, let's talk more at the top. How about the Padres bunch of Juan Soto, Manny Machado? And, you know, I always bring the statistic last year that Dan Vogelbach, 
of uh, the New York Mets had a better WRC plus than Juan Soto since being traded. Can you? Uh, I'll tell you. Dan Vogelbach's uh, WRC plus for the Mets this year is one fourteen. Anybody want to guess what Juan Soto's is? I mean, Less I know. Than that. So I'm, <laughs> Less than that. I'm gonna guess, but I know it's close. One eighteen. 118. Yep. Pretty, pretty, pretty close. Now, I, I obviously, I would much rather have Juan Soto than Dan Vogelbach. I just find that very, very comical. But Juan Soto, to me, is a guy whose surface stats are bad. But he's barreling the ball at a 16% barrel rate. He's hitting too many ground balls, and the strikeout rate has gone a little bit in the other direction, but still a pretty good 21%. And he's walking at a 22% clip, which is, that's I mean, that's bonkers, but that's his norm. Um, his BABIP is 200, as, as we like to look at. So, yeah, I, I think that Juan Soto, I, I don't think that Juan Soto is the 280 plus hitter that projections were going for. Like, I, I do not think he's a 280 hitter. Uh, but uh, I think that he's not that far away, and I think he can get to 25, 30 homers. So I'm not phased by the slow start. Are any of you, uh, let's go through, Vayner. Are, are you phased by the slow start? Not in the least bit. This is his spring training. He had an oblique injury during the spring. He missed a, a significant amount of time. He was trying to go to the to World Baseball Classic. He had the oblique thing. He tried to come back quick from the oblique. He really didn't have a full spring training. This is really his spring training right now. So I'm not overly concerned. I think he's trying to play through. He may be still playing through it even, possibly. And now the fact that uh, Fernando Tatis is coming back today today's his first game and he's batting second behind him and Tatis the way he gets on base and with Machado who we're going to talk about in a second also is batting right behind them though that lineup is very potent these guys are going to get plenty of good pitches to hit he's just got to you know get a little bit more lucky and be completely healthy he is a talent he's not going anywhere he's he's going to get a 500 million dollar contract plus Dan Vogelbach is not going to do that and so I I think that you just have to give him some time he will turn it around. I'm not overly concerned. Plus, he's also in a contract year this year, so he's going to do his darndest to get it righted, and he's going to do whatever he has to. If that means sit out for a little bit because his oblique is not 100%, you may see him do that. Uh, Dan Vogelbach is making $1.5 million this year. I agree, well under $500 million. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm assuming you agree, Sky, but have a teammate, Manny Machado, who looks a little bit different. 4% homer fly ball ratio, that's a bit unlucky, but he's only barreling at a 3% rate. Ugh. Strikeout rate is way up, walk rate way down. Uh, is this just San Diego, who's had some tough opponents uh, so far? They've played uh, Atlanta, they've played Milwaukee, they've played the Mets. Is this just, is this just that? Uh, what, what's your take on Manny Machado for this year? Yeah, you know, I, I I have to think that it's just that because Manny Machado, you'd be hard pressed to find a more consistent player the last eight seasons than Manny Machado. I mean, aside from a little batting average fluctuation, which is just inevitable for everyone, he's one of the most steady players as far as even the underlying statistics are remarkably steady year to year to year. So this is the first time I've ever seen him perform at this level, but you know, if it were August, we probably wouldn't even pay attention to it. It's the first two weeks of the season, so we talk about it. There's just been something off in San Diego at the start. And I will say about Juan Soto, I love the guy. I mean, I he's probably my favorite player in baseball, uh, team loyalty notwithstanding. And two years ago, I would have said that he had the most likelihood to ever approach Ted Williams. But there's one thing that's really disconcerting there 
uh, about Soto to me right now. And I, I think Ruvay makes a very good point about him really kind of still ramping up because his chase rate is up and his zone swing percentage is down. And I mean, if you know anything about these underlying statistics, that is a really, really bad mix to be swinging at more pitches outside of the zone and vastly fewer pitches inside the zone. I think that's why you're seeing both the walk rate maintain a very high level and the swing strike rate and the strikeout rate go flying up. Um, he just doesn't look right. And, you know, we're stats people primarily. We do tend to treat players like they're robots sometimes. And Juan Soto has been very outspoken about how he hates hitting second. And I really hope that they move him down and bat like Tatis Machado Soto or something like that just to make him a little more comfortable because he's the guy on their team that is the biggest difference maker. Everybody loves Tatis. Machado's very steady. But Juan Soto could be a generational hitter. He's still only 24. So you should make him happy. Yeah, I would think if they want to sign him, they should. Uh, absolutely. Let's do one more hitter who's cold. How about Tyler O'Neill? Uh, you know, with uh, my inner my inner Ian Khan would tell him that would tell myself that uh, man, this guy is an attitude problem. He's a discipline problem. Uh, whew. But uh, you know, he's actually hitting okay right now. Last week, he's been better. He's brought his average up to two seventy six. Although propped up by a four hundred BABIP, so that's gonna go down. Uh, homers, well, um, you know, projections have him at about 20 homers rest of season. He's not on pace for that, but, uh, will Tyler O'Neill get right? And will he solve some of his attitude problems? What's the use guy? Yeah, you know, I think so. I kind of like Tyler O'Neill. I like him a little bit as a buy low candidate right here. Uh, if you look at the expected slugging via StatCast, he's a hundred points low right now on his, his 431 slugging versus expected 531. He's Made a little bit of improvements in terms of making contacts, swinging strike percentages up. The hard hit rate is over 50%. And that 400 BABIP, while crazy, uh, is backed up by a 32% line drive rate to this point. So, you know, it's not as wacky as it might sound. Sure, it's going to regress. But I don't think, you know, you're looking at a 280 BABIP kind of a guy if he's going to continue to hit the ball in that fashion. So I'm not really concerned. I think that we still have a tendency to value Tyler O'Neill on that 2021 season which in all likelihood we're going to look back at it five years from now and say, well, that was the career year. But I think he's still a very valuable player, and I think he'll be a big part of that Cardinal outfield. And, Scott, you actually you actually mentioned the fact about players starting slow. Last year, in April, he batted 188, and in May, he batted 204. So he is also a slow starter. I'm not concerned he, he's stealing. My concern is let him stay healthy. Because that's my biggest concern. When I when you draft Tyler O'Neill, you're not really concerned. You, you know, you have an idea of what you're gonna get. Stats. There's a, a ceiling. There's a, there's a floor for him. But you just wanted to play in games. And if he, as long as he stays healthy, I think he can turn it around because he's just a slow starter. So yeah. b- before we talk about some cold pitchers, um, just want to get the strategy point of, you know, if if you sit hitters. Um, you know, you don't really miss anything great. And if they have a monster week, I understand you lose it. But the the downside of playing a cold hitter and you get zeros for the week, uh, sure, you know, you don't get as many counting stats. The batting average doesn't kill you ridiculously. One guy, it's batting average. But when you play a pitcher who bombs or has bad, that has a very detrimental effect. You have a guy who has given up seven earned runs in three innings, Yikes, that can hurt your ERA, and your whip will be hurt as well, I'm sure. Um, 
very, very different than playing a, a cold hitter, playing a cold pitcher. Sky, do you caution yourself a little bit more not to throw some pitchers who are having cold, cold starts to the season on bad outings? Or, you know, maybe you say, okay, I'll play my FP one, two, threes, but I'm going to watch a little bit more carefully, even though it's early in the season because I just don't want to blow up my ERA. Do you treat pitchers differently than hitters? Yeah, I definitely do. I think you make a great point. You even turned Zach Plesac into a verb in our uh, in our first week. <laughs> uh, with what happened there? So, please, yeah, I think please sacked, please sacked. please sacked exactly. You know, I think you're absolutely right on. The downside to a bad pitching performance is so much worse than the downside to a bad hitting week that I think you have to treat those guys a little bit differently. You have to play the matchups. And my broadcast partner Lou Blasi and I, we always talk about how. We kind of want to have a pitching strategy of two or three aces and then five or six guys that we mix and match. You know, the tout format's different, but in a lot of our head-to-head leagues, you're starting five starting pitchers. So you just kind of run the stream. All right, so let's talk about uh, a specific guy. Let's let's talk about Al- Alec Manoa, okay? If you're drafting Alec Manoa, you probably drafted him as your SP2, maybe in a very shallow league SP3. Um, you know, not having a great start to the season, but you're sort of relying on him as I'm not gonna say your anchor or but one of your anchors, if you will, if not the elite ace pitcher. What do you do with a guy like that? I mean, you're sort of depending on him. How how many starts in a row do you do you see him faltering before you say, I gotta put the brakes on? Or maybe, hey, he's now having a tough matchup against the Yankees. Now's the time. Like, how do you handle a guy like Alec Manoa, Ruven? I think you have to play him. There's no way you cannot play him. I mean, you drafted him. You got to get his numbers. He's still going to strike out some guys, so you can get that. But his walk rate is ridiculously high. Um, his his xERA was his expected ERA is actually lower than than what than what he is when he has now. So it's not that bad. But I'm looking at other stuff. His velocity is down through. Oh, it's, it's only one mile per hour, but it's down across the board. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. I'm when you have your top guy and he's and his ERA is bloated and his velocity is down, you start to question what's going on. Now people questioned him in the offseason about how he was, you know, training and he said, No, I did my own thing. Look, my I have my track record and everything like that. You know, sometimes pitchers can be a little bit stubborn in what they do. I'm not saying he is, but there are some pitchers that get stuck in their ways and they can learn bad habits. I'm not saying he has that yet, but it looks like that. I'm a little bit nervous. I you but you have to play him. You're not dropping him. What are you going to get for a trade? You're, you're trading for his name, basically. I mean, maybe you can get someone to get, you know, an, an equal value or a mid, a lower pitcher on a hitter out of him. I guess you can do that, but I mean, you drafted him to be one of, like you said, one of his, one of your anchors. If he's not one of your, if he's not your anchor, you're in big trouble. It's like the Luis Castillo of last year. What do you do with him? Luis Castillo did it horribly, and then all of a sudden he turned it around. I think you just have to wait. You just have to wait it out. I like how you say, Ruvain, uh, hey, no, I'm not going to say that his training methods stink, but uh, I think you are saying it, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, well, I'm not necessarily saying that, but it was brought into light in, on social media, and, and he defended it vehemently. So that's the only reason why I bring it up, because it was, it was he was questioned, he, he defended it, and now he said, you know, my, you just look at my results. Whatever my results are, that's what, that's what it is. We're looking at the results now. What do you see? 
Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not a seven ERA pitcher, and you know he did put up a clunker against the Rays, who are a really, really good team. Uh, he's not a big strike a pitcher, anyways, so that's not really faltering. Uh, I I think you gotta go with a guy like that. You, you agree, Sky? Right? Yeah, I mean, primarily I do. I I detest when people take victory laps for stuff about you know players not doing well or whatever. Um, so I'm I'm gonna try not to do that while saying that I was really kind of down on Manoa coming into the season. And I just didn't get the the fervor, you know. I he got pushed all the way up to SP sixteen and fifteen and ADP, and I had him at like twenty sixth, um, which I mean it's SP three in a twelve team league, and I think that I still feel okay about that. But like Ruvain said, you know the velocity's down, the walk rates up, swing strike rates down, fly balls, home runs are up. The park change in Toronto is not going to be friendly to him as a right handed fly ball pitcher. In the se- as the season goes on, sixteen feet is a big deal moving those fences in. So, you know, I think all the things lined up to him being way overvalued for me for what I wanted to pay in every league. I did end up with him in one or two leagues just because of the way things kind of played out. So he's, he's hurting me like he's hurting everybody, but at least, you know, he has, my expectations were a a bit lower. I think he'll give you that kind of high three ZRA as we move forward. Yeah. So I was talking about, on the uh, the Baseball HQ Radio podcast with Patrick Davitt, which actually will come out the same day as uh, our podcast here, that you're seeing a lot of ace or near-ace pitchers throw a clunker, right? We saw Kevin Gaussman the other day throw a clunker. We've seen Nola throw a clunker. We've seen DeGrom throw a clunker. And it might just be part of the environment, of the new baseball environment, at least early on where maybe pitchers are not used to the pitch clock or the ball is different again. Um, but I I would discount these one-off clunkers by pitchers and give them a pass in general. Um, you know, here's a hypothetical question for you, Sky. Let's say you got Garrett Cole, who hasn't thrown the clunker yet, and I bet you it will happen. But let's say he throws a clunker, he throws a second clunker. How many clunkers in a row will Garrett Cole throw? And he's still healthy, where you say, I can't pitch this. Like, he's obviously the top two, three pitcher, whatever you drafted him as. How many clunkers in a row would you would you uh, wait to bench an SP one or 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 how many for an SP two? Like, do you have a general guideline for that? Uh, you know, I never really thought about it until this second, but I'd say for an SP one, it would be like five or six before I'd even think about sitting them. I mean, these guys are these guys for a reason. The only reason that they would continue to throw poorly basically would be injury. So that that's what we love about some of these guys is they're either good or they're hurt. Uh, it would take an awful lot, but you get down into the mid rotation guys like uh, SB 25 and lower and, you know, three in a row. And I've got serious reservations unless the schedule looks attractive. And before we go on to more, it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week. Well, the next underperformer we're going to talk about now happens to be Sandy Alcantara. Now, everyone loves Sandy Alcantara coming to the season. He was drafted very high, and that was because he pitches a lot of innings. So my question is going to be based on that because it is possible that maybe the innings are catching up to him. I don't know. But my trivia question for today is, Sandy Alcantara has pitched the most innings over the last two years. He's pitched a total of 433 innings. Who are number two, three, and four on that list of most innings pitched over the last two years? All right, go first, Sky. 
Uh, I mean, I would guess Garrett Cole is in the mix. Uh, yes, would... that is correct. Garrett Cole has thrown 381, and he's actually fourth on the list. I would think Aaron Nola might be on the list. Aaron Nola is number three with 385. I'm fresh out, Ariel. You're, you're not leaving me with much, though. I'm going to go for a weird <laughs> one. Uh, Herman Marquez? No. Okay. Think about a team that actually beat up on Alec Manoa in the opening game. St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Adam wait, Wainwright. Wainwright. 397 wow. innings. Second most over the last two years. And he's retiring after this year. So my, so then my question to you, to Sky, is this. Is Sandy Alcantara, is those innings catching up to him? Is this something having to do with him having an abnormal spring training because of the World Baseball Classic? What's going on with Sandy Alcantara? I love Sandy Alcantara. Um, and I, I think, you know, I hate, I really hate talking about myself, but I think I'm, I'm aware of his weaknesses more than some people that were drafting him as, as the number one overall pitcher. He's not a real strikeout guy. And that's the funny thing is his swing strike rate is up to like almost elite levels where it never is. It's just that his changeup has been really bad. And that's so unlike him because he's almost a changeup first pitcher. Like that's his out pitch. So that's the weird thing. And I think we we talk sometimes, and I know that you're kind of throwing this out there, uh, that you know this, but maybe the general listening community doesn't really pay attention to this. But, you know, it's not the innings pitch number. It's the pitch number, and it's the stress in those pitches that matters so much more as far as arm health, I think. And I don't get the sense that there's really a lack of health for Alcantara. I think that you see a lot of those World Baseball Classic guys, and they have struggled because – especially with starting pitchers, they're absolutely 100% creatures of habit. And that totally got them out of their normal regimen. So I do think that there's a little bit to that. Uh, I am not concerned about Alcantara. I mean, his his XFIP is four. His ERA is 585. There's a 46% strand rate. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen one that low after more than one start. So I feel that this will certainly kind of work itself out for him. Um, I never expect him to repeat those low two ERAs because he's just, he seems very fortunate a lot of the time. He just gets a lot of weak contact and things kind of work out for him. But I think he'll give you a low three ZRA. And with the amount of innings that he generally pitches in his overall arm health, you know, all pitchers are, are healthy until they're not. But I think Alcantara is your best bet to give you steady, good performance of all those guys. Yeah. Last year in the uh, Cy Young performance, his Sierra was 3 4 2. Uh, and I'm projecting him at a three three seven. So um, yeah, I, I I think that uh, he's not going to get down to those levels that he did last year. But I think there's a very high percentage chance he's going to be very good. The wins might be not be there uh, because the Marlins aren't a good team. But he does go deep into games, and that'll afford him more. So I I think Sandy, you can expect good performance. How about a guy like Chris Sale? And this is such a great example because he stunk the first couple of outings. He had a really good 11-strikeout outing last time. Looks like his stuff is there, and he, it's one of these things where if you just look at the ERA, he looks terrible. But if you look at some of the underlying metrics, he's been so unlucky. High BABIP, low strand rate, homer-to-fly bull ratio of 36. Obviously, that's not real. Is Chris Sale the classic buy-low candidate for you, Sky? Uh, yeah. In fact, you know, I make little written notes for players that we might talk about. And I have, it's a gamble, but by low written right next to Chris sale. 
So, yeah, I think, you know, the exit velo has been pretty poor, so he's not avoiding hard contact to this point, which was a strength of his for many years. But, you know, this is a guy that has pitched very little the past handful of years. So I think he's kind of still getting back in the routine of things. He looked great Tuesday, um, and the control was much better. And that's, for me, the key. Like, his his windup was always one of those that guys were like, oh, he's going to walk a ton of guys, he's going to be hurt a lot, and then he – being too late is indistinguishable from being wrong. So, you know, after 10 years, I don't care. You can't take your victory lap now. You you were wrong. But, you know, I think he's still getting it back. Yeah. Um, I think, though, he's got a lot of risk. So I'm not willing to buy low for the risk component because, I don't know, I feel like he can get injured at any point. I feel like he can be subject to the blow-up outings because maybe his mechanics is just off for one and goes back to that. So I think the blow-up risk is more. He reminds me of the old Noah Syndergaard, where Syndergaard was so electric that he would strike outs, but he would have these occasional six earn run run, uh, clunkers that would just blow his ERA at any time. And so I just don't want to be subject to that. So I'm not buying myself into Chris Sale. But, yeah, I mean, this, the stuff and the skills are there that uh, I think, other than the occasional blow-up, I think he is going to be there. Uh, agree, Ruvain, or uh, what are you doing with Sale? I'm a little bit more concerned about Sale. I think Sale, his velocity is down a little bit. Um, he's using his slider more than his fastball, and, and I, I think that's just a matter of comfort level for now. So I think the fastball usage should go up during the course of the summer. But again, I'm Ari, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm nervous about that injury. We've been talking about Chris Sale getting hurt for the first five or six years of his career. When is he going to break down? That that wind up, that delivery is not going to not, not sustainable. We've been saying that for a long time. It's actually start. It started to happen a couple of years ago. It happened last year. Um, if you buy low. I, I guess you can get something, you know, you may be able to get a good, couple of good, good starts. Is he going to be a two for you? Probably not. Is it be a three A? I think he's a three. I think he's a, th- a good three. And if, and if you can, if you can buy him for a low level, let's say middle infielder that, or, or a corner infielder that you have excess of, then sure. Because getting those threes that have the name of Chris Sale, that you can have an idea of what you're going to get, as opposed to having to throw out a, let's say his teammate, Corey Kluber, who's killed my ERA in a bunch of leagues. I'd rather have Chris Sale and, and buy low with him than to throw out one of those guys. So I'm carefully selecting the guys we want to talk about because I want to introduce certain points and two more guys to talk about. One is Lance Lynn. Velocity down, no command. He is striking out people, so we're talking about a command issue. Um, Sox are not a good team, so wins are fickle. He had a great weight World Baseball Classic. Is Lance Lynn a trade candidate? Does does he have trade value where you can say, hey, who wants Lance Lynn? Um, is this a, a kind of guy that you think uh, is is tradable? What, what, what say you, Sky? Boy, I mean, if he does, your league probably has White Sox fans in it. I, I just can't see people really having a ton of demand out there for Lance Lynn, but if they do, I'd be happy to pawn him off on him. Uh, I think – like you said, you know, velocity's down, controls poorer, exit velocity, hard hit rate are way up. The barrel percentage is up tremendously. He's just, he's missing into the middle. He's missing the strike zone. He's not pitching at all like he wants to pitch. And Lance then was one of those guys, like I thought he was overrated for years. And then last year in about two thirds of a season, he finally put up a legitimately really good season. Uh, you know, the walk rate down to 1.4 and he started really missing bats he's just reverted right back to a guy that I'm not super confident in. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he's a bench uh, uh, for me as well. But yeah. I, I feel like I, I don't want to just straight cut him from my roster. I feel like I want to, I don't know, I'll, I'll sell him for a bag of balls or something like that. Well, not, not maybe not that low, but I'll sell him for 50 cents on the dollar. Is that a fair assessment where I'm happy to take yeah. 50% of what I paid and maybe somebody in my league will, will do that, right? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. I don't think so. I'd actually hold on to him. I, oh, I wouldn't be. Okay. I don't know if I'd be playing him. I, I wouldn't base on. I think I base more on matchup. But he, look at his BABIP. His BABIP is through the roof. So he's been very unlucky right now, and that defense behind him is not that great. Now, if you look at his situation, that's why his BABIP Sox, is up. By the way, his well, the uh, that's stinks. well th- th- that that brings me to my point where he's in the last year of his contract. He's he's. I think he's if the. White Sox are not in it. He is going to be traded, and he'll be traded to a contender. There are many teams that are con- that are contending that need starting pitching, aka the Mets. So a lot of teams need a pitcher like that who has postseason experience, who is reliable as a number four starter. You don't need him to be a number a number one. You need him to be a number four for for our team. So if you hold on to him long enough and play the right matchups, he may get traded to a better team with a better defense behind them, and you may have some upside there. Is he going to be the landslide of last year? Probably not, but you still may get some more. You may get more value out of him than, again, picking someone off the waiver wire and throwing him out there. So uh, last pitcher example, this is a good one, Chris Bassett. So uh, if you look at Chris Bassett, we all know the velocity was down, come back a little bit. But this is a tactic thing that I want to talk through. So I didn't play him. I have him in uh, 12-team mixed auction labor, and he faced Houston this week. So I didn't play him. Like, well, I mean, it's a more shallow league. I've got other options. I'm not going to play a sort of struggling guy against Houston. Of course, he turned into a great performance. And, you know, you say to yourself – Am I happy that he did? Uh, but I didn't start him. Of course, I'm happy. That means that I, maybe I have a better player than you think for the rest of the season. And the question is, is he a cut for you? Um, Bassett next week is to start playing the White Sox in Seattle. I I want to invoke Bassett because I want to bring up the point that if you can't see yourself playing Chris Bassett in a two start week next week. There is no reason he should be on your team, right? If if you have a player that is going to sit on your bench through a two-start week, why is he on your team at all? I mean, at, at what kind of depth, what kind of level are you holding two-star pitchers? Uh, I mean, I guess if they're playing the Yankees in Houston or, or Atlanta, Atlanta and the Yankees, I guess, but... Why would you even be pl- right? Like to me, that that that's the 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 number one principle of these low level pitchers in any kind of format. So, uh, Sky, what do you think of that rule in general? And B, what do you think of Bassett? Is Bassett someone to hold on to that legitimately is very slow to ramp up, and he's been oh so reliable. He's pitching on a very good Toronto team now. He also goes deep into games, so I expect him to win a lot of games this year. What are you doing with Bassett? Yeah, I mean, you make a you're spot on with that argument. Like, if you're not going to use him now, when would you ever use him? So why would you have him? But as far as Bassett goes in general, I had I have to be a little down on him this year because he's a guy that's never pitched in a bad home park before. You know, his home road splits for his career are 138 points of ops home and away, 1.67 runs of ERA home and away. These are massive splits. He spent most of his career in Oakland, then pitched a year with the Mets last year, another pretty solid home park to pitch in. 
So moving to Toronto as a right-handed fly ball pitcher, right at the time when they're bringing in those right field fences, just seemed like, well, you know, this doesn't make any sense at all. I don't want any part of this. So I really just don't want any part of Bassett this year. And cutting him, I think, seems drastic because I do feel like he has some name recognition, but I'd absolutely be shopping him. And I'd be shopping him on the basis of that last outing saying, well, you know, he looks like he's right at the ship. I just, you know, I have some starting pitching depth, et cetera, et cetera. However, you need to sell it. I mean, Ruvain, am I am I going to be playing Bassett in labor? Or would you drop him if you were me here? Um, No. And the and I I'm I seem to be the guy who's against all what you guys are saying, but <laughs> Chris Bassett, I have him in our league that we're together and in GDD. I played him this week. Okay, good he's, for you. Good last for you. year, I, yeah, I, well, I was lucky, very lucky. Um, yeah. So, but Chris, but Chris, Chris Bassett, um, last year, Buck Showalter called him a bulldog. He he, I I saw a couple of games he pitched when pitching against that deep Braves lineup. He knows how to maneuver. He knows how to pitch. He, I don't care about the velocity. He reminds me a lot of our Bartolo Colon. He, he's not going to give you that much stat-wise. He'll get a lot of innings. He'll know how to navigate. He knows how to pitch. So I think I would play him next week. Again, he's better than a lot of other two-start options out there. And if your ERA can take it, then that's, that's you know, it's still early on. You could still make up a lot of this ERA stuff if you throw out the middle relievers, lower the ERA that way. And if you manage your roster later on, if he does blow up, then, yes, you can you can work on it. But he does go deep in games. And for a pitcher to go six innings twice in a week, even if he gives up five runs and gives you a chance to get a win, I, I think I'm going to go with that. I, I mean, I, I, these other pitchers are not getting out of the fourth inning, fifth inning. I, I want to take my risk with those wins because those wins can be very handy later on. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think I'm going to play him in labor. Uh, let's talk waiver wire. So we're uh, in the middle of the season now, and there's always guys to pick up. So let's go around the room and uh, get some pickups. Could be a shallow league. Could be a deep league. Maybe do one of each or whatever you'd like to do. But uh, who are some waiver wire picks that you're thinking about this week? Sky, we'll start with you. I think if you're looking at uh, shallow league stuff, I think Nolan Gorman and Taj Bradley, I mean, these are young players. Look like they're making, you know, a leap in Gorman's case and debut in Bradley's case. Bradley, I mean, that's just a simple case. He's a Tampa Bay pitcher. They develop pitchers extremely well. Guy has a great pedigree. He looked great this first start. That's an easy one. And Nolan Gorman's really making a leap. Age 22, exit velocity's up a ton, and the chase and swinging strike are coming down in a reasonable range. I think he looks awesome. If you want to go to deeper leagues, I, I like J.D. Davis, man, and you guys are familiar with him for sure. Um, the Mets, for all of their strong points, I think they misused him over the years. He's a reverse splits guy, much like Keston Hiera, who has been completely misused by the Brewers as a batter against left-handed pitchers only that he can't hit. J.D. Davis was really turned into a platoon bat at times, had injury issues, but when he has steady playing time, when he's playing against both sides, he tends to hit. Sure, there's some contact issues, but there's a lot of power. So I feel like in deeper leagues, I think J.D. Davis is starting to hit, and he's going to bat in the middle of that giant lineup. Yeah, I feel like the Mets gave up on him, and he shipped they the Mets shipped him out, plus the Pucky, plus another one or two for Darren Ruff, who, by the way, they cut, and guess where he's playing right now? For, <laughs> for the Giants! Oh, yep. that, is, that is sad. Uh, yes, Taj Bradley, good, good pickup, young guy. I think that he is a candidate to be this year's Spencer Strider. Now, I, I know everyone, say, everyone always asks, who's this year's Spencer Strider? To be honest with you, 
there doesn't have to be a spe- uh, this year Spencer Strider, right? You don't need a, a guy every single year to be, oh, he's this year Spencer Strider. Uh, but uh, if there is going to be a candidate, he is definitely one of them. Uh, Ruvain, how about you? Any other uh, players you'd like to pick up this week? Sure. In a couple of uh, shower leagues, Andrew McCutcheon, he's only owned 42% of CBS. He's batting 310, four homers, three stolen bases so far. It looks like Pittsburgh has reinvigorated him being, being back there. And he's going to play as much as he can as long as he's healthy. Um, I don't know how he can sustain this. I mean, he's not he's not the McCutcheon of old where he's an MVP and he's going to do the, those numbers all year. But if you can, this outfield is pretty shallow this year. You want to throw him out there for a couple weeks while he's still hot? He's only owning 42% in CBS. A guy who's owning 39% in CBS is Jose Alvarado. He's got two saves this week. I don't know if they're going to use him as closer every time because he is a lefty and he has issues a lot of times of being wild. And there are a lot of other closer options out there. But if you can get him and and have him in your lineup, and if you don't want to throw that two-star pitcher, if you're nervous about throwing out that Chris Bassett, throwing out a Jose Alvarado is not a bad option because he will pitch late in games and with a good chance to get some wins and even some saves. And another guy, I'm going to mention another format, and also on the San Francisco Giants, and that's Wilmer Flores. He's only owned in 17% of CBS leagues, but he is the epitome of backup and the epitome of bench player in fantasy. He's eligible at first, second, and third. He's batting 320 on the year, two homers. He's playing Right now he's playing almost every day. I think he's a great guy to have on the bench. I know in deeper leagues I drafted him or tried to draft him in so many leagues just because of that eligibility. You get an injury, you just plug him in there. You you had Altuve at second, you plug him at second. You have a problem with third, you plug him in third. He goes everywhere. He's not going to hurt you because the Giants know how to use their platoons correctly, and they'll put him in the right situation to perform well. Look at his batting average. He's always done well at batting average. Homers, you're not going to get that much. Stolen bases, forget about it. He's one of the slowest players in baseball. But still, you can get some solid playing time out of a guy who's only owning 17% of leagues in CBS. Yeah. Alvarado has definitely been the best uh, pitcher in the Phillies bullpen, and he's going to have at least a high, uh, some percentage of, save, of the save share this year, maybe even 40%. Uh, definitely worth the gamble on. And Andrew McCutcheon, you know, I think if this is his last year because we've seen Albert Pujols in his last year just do wonders. We saw Buster Posey in, la- in his last year do wonders. I think this is a – I'm here. I'm, I'm signing with Pittsburgh back again in my – just like Pujols did. I'm going to make one run. He's, he ha- he's one of these stars. He's not a Hall of Fame type, but he's in his mind that I'm going to go out with a bang. Pittsburgh actually is a much better team than you think. Uh, this year, so I I really buy it. McCutcheon should be universally owned in every single league now. Um, and I'll add a couple of waiver wire guys. Uh, Jake Berger, um, let's see, fifth in the American League in homers. He has one less homer than Aaron Judge, so he's got five homers. That's pretty good. 35% barrel rate, 12% walk rate. That sounds good. He's lowered his strikeout rate in each season. He's now under 30%, so he's gotten out of crappy territory. He's batting 276, and that's actually with an unlucky 200 BABIP. Let's see what else. He's batting fourth or fifth in the lineup every single day. Huh. And he's only 14% owned on CBS. This is an instant pickup, folks, and definitely in the short term. Jake Berger is a no-brainer here. Uh, how about Brandon Marsh? Brand, who, what kind of players are good in Roto? How about power speed? Well, that's Brandon Marsh. Now, I, he's not going to be a 2020 player. Obviously, those guys are already taken earlier in the draft, but... 10-10, maybe even 15-15, for sure. And the only thing I don't like about him is his strikeout rate, 
But he does get on base nicely. He walks a lot. He barrels the ball. And he's batting fifth in the lineup. By the way, his runs and RBI totals are going to be way higher than whatever was projected by projections. He's on pace right now for 95 runs, 95 RBIs. So you're getting two good categories right there. Plus you're getting a, a nice amount in the homers and, and stolen bases. Definitely a great filler on the waiver wire. Go for it. And just want to throw out there Brian Abreu on Houston. I always, this early in the season, look for who's a good middle reliever that's got that great strikeout rate, that's got that low whip, and who's absolutely free because he's not doing anything with an outside chance for a saves, and that's Brian Abreu. 0.87 ERA, 0.97 whip, 41% strikeout rate. He does need to walk a few fewer batters, but he's not doing anything worse than he's already been done in his career, and his velo is now up to 97.5, which is five miles an hour up from just two or three years ago. That's closer stuff in my mind. Brian Abreu is very interesting to me. Uh, he's this year's Michael King, if you want, you know, if you, if you will. Uh, so take a look at him. Sky, any comments on uh, our waiver wire picks? Yeah, I'd love them, actually. Abreu in particular, because Ryan Presley has looked horrible. And the Astros are not in the habit of punting a bunch of games at the back of their bullpen. They love Abreu. They clearly high leverage him all the time. So I could totally see him working his way into a save share there. Yeah, they do have Montero who's filled in. Yeah, and and Ryan Presley never gets hurt either. So I mean, why would you want right. to have you know why would you want to have Brian <laughs> right. Abreu on your roster? <laughs> well, and I love your McCutcheon call too because I, I I listened to a couple interviews with him and that dude absolutely adores Pittsburgh. He couldn't stop talking about how awesome it was that he could have his family living in Pittsburgh. He could tell his kids about all the history there and he just loves it there. And we do dehumanize these players sometimes with stats. If players want to play, they play well. And he really loves it there. The uh, Mets made him a better offer than Pittsburgh did, but he chose to go back to his hometown with Pittsburgh and the Mets got fam. So could have been a Met this year, but uh, that's what he wanted. Uh, absolutely love him as a player as well. Uh, pitcher preview, is there anybody interesting? And, you know, we, we've been doing the pitcher preview for a couple of years now, but um, I generally don't want to stream anymore, especially in deep leagues. Just garbage out there. But it, you always need to be cognizant of it, especially later in the season. So I'll start with one. Uh, I'll just throw out one, this, one time. Johan Oviedo. Uh, what a killer slider. It's one of the best sliders in baseball so far. He is two-start, by the way. Dodgers and Washington, at least one of those, are good. His stuff is there. 24% strikeout rate, supported by a 33% CSW, which is currently 12th in all of baseball. And he's got a 55% ground ball rate. So that's high strikeouts, high ground ball rate. Uh, yep, uh, that sounds good. And, you know, Pittsburgh is, I said, better than you think. And by the way... He's going deep into games. He's pitching six or seven innings every game so far. And you know who their closer is? David Bednar, who's actually been really good. So they've been able to hold the leads. I think that Oviedo is very interesting, especially in deep formats, and could be 10 or 12 team relevant as well, especially this week with the two starts. Um, Sky, anybody to, else to add or uh, on uh, a pitcher to pick up this week? I'm trying to trying to get away from the obvious ones. So there's two guys that I think might be a little bit under-owned that are pretty good starts for this coming week. Justin Steele has looked really good here in the early going. Walk rates down, ground ball rates up, exit velocity allowed is down, swing straight is up. And he's got a two-start week coming up 
against San Diego, who's been struggling, and then at the Marlins, who pretty much always struggle. So I think that's a really good one. And then Kyle Bradish just came up and uh, pitched a gem this week. He's got a two-start week next week against Boston at home, which Camden Yards is a great park to pitch in now after moving the fences in last year, and then at the Tigers, who are pretty bad. So I think he's probably available in most leagues, and I think that's a pretty solid two-start week. Yeah. Ruvain, anybody to add? Actually, I'm going to throw out another Baltimore pitcher because last year I seemed to be streaming a lot of Baltimore pitchers. I, I just have lists. I had Spencer Watkins on my roster. I had Wells on my roster. So I, I, I streamed a lot and I watched him a lot. Dean Kramer. Yes. He's a possible two-star pitcher. He went he went six and two-thirds against Washington this past uh, this past week, and he's got a, two, a possible two-star at Boston and at Detroit. He's only 9% owned in CBS. So he's a guy that if you want to take a two-start risk on, that's really not a bad option, especially like you mentioned, pitching in Baltimore. That's that's a great place, especially against against the Red Sox, who are not that great. I mean, they're scoring a lot of runs recently, but their offense is not known to be that great. And another guy I'm going to mention, I think this is just the guy to stash because he's pitching well in AAA, and that's Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka has flown under the radar. He's pitching well at AAA. If there's an injury to that, anyone on the Braves rotation or if someone falters, He's a guy you can you can get now for almost nothing, or if he, if he's not owned, you get him for almost nothing instead of having to pay for him when he actually comes up. Because if he does come up, and when he he'll eventually come up. Everyone gets injured. There's so many pain, so many injuries. He will eventually come up, and when he comes up, he's going to be expensive. You want to get him now. He may come up in a week or two, three weeks. He looks good so far. He's a guy to go after. So we've had a very jam packed show, but I do want to do at least one mailbag question. Ben asks. Uh, about a couple people. He asked about Lance Lynn, which we've talked about. But uh, he's asking about Chris Bubik. And he's asking about uh, Quijada, the guy on the Angels. Is he the closer? What say you, Sky, about Chris Bubik and uh, Quijada? Well, Quijada, I think, is probably the primary closer right now, although Estevez is still going to get his share of the opportunities. They seem perfectly fine with a timeshare right now. Uh, but Bubik, man, you know, he's a guy that, He's burned me so many times over the years because he does have some arm talent, but the uh, involvement of a new slider this year seems to have finally pushed him over the hump to a guy that I do think is going to be successful. And he looks great here in the early going. Uh, I think that Bubich is a guy that I probably would look to, to go target and put him on my roster and start him most of the time. Yeah, I'm not that interested in him. Uh, Quijada, I think, has actually been lucky. Uh, I do think he's going to be in the saves mix, but I don't think he's the guy right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think they're still trying to get Estevez op. So wait, wait, wait and see on that. But, yeah, if you're in a deep league, sure, he should be owned. Uh, you got to try him out. Ruvain, uh, any thoughts on Bubik or Quijada? I don't uh Quijada, I, I'm trying to stay away from that whole um angel situation with saves because you never know who's gonna get the save out there. You never know who's gonna blow up. And as for Bubik, he is injured right now. He's actually going for a second opinion on his elbow. He was diagnosed this past week with a left flexor strain. He's going for a second opinion. Usually a second opinion means uh-oh. So that's just something to watch for. I mean, is, is he a guy that would be available this week? Probably. Do you want to roster him at this point? 
I, I, I don't know. A guy with an injury, with an injured elbow, I, I a lefty pitcher, a young pitcher who's going for a second opinion, although it's it, most players do go for second opinions. You have to go for a second opinion. Their money, their arms are worth money, literally. So they have to go for a second opinion. So it's not necessarily bad. But when you hear a guy go for a second opinion on an elbow, that's not a good thing. So I do have an announcement to make. But first, let's get the injury update from Ruvain. We've got three weeks worth of injuries. Why don't you go for it? Oh, my gosh. Where do I start? Okay, let's start with John Carl Stanton. He is on the aisle with a hamstring issue. He's looking at a six-week absence. He's got a grade two strain for Stanton. Six weeks may turn into two months. You never know with him. Um, he's a guy that you you can't drop. In, in a, if you have no aisle league, it's hard to drop him. But it's it's very – you knew what you're getting when you drafted him, so he's out for six weeks. Will Smith, he's still under concussion protocol. He's still – uh, according to Dave Roberts, days away from being activated. So there's a question as to who's going to play. And he's a guy also you just can't drop. Uh, Miguel Rojas, I'm going to stick with the Dodgers a little bit. He went on the IL also with an injury, with a hamstring injury. With Gavin Lux out, they said maybe Mookie Betts will start playing shortstop. Interesting. Jose Siri is supposed to have start rehab uh, assignment this weekend, and hopefully he'll be back probably next week. Garrett Mitchell is was scheduled for an MRI Actually, today for his left shoulder, I don't know the results of that yet, but he had uh, he had muff, multiple left shoulder subluxations in the game last week. So this, this week, so he's a guy uh, he may be out for a little bit of time. A guy you may want to think about is Tyron Taylor. He's actually on a rehab assignment, and he may get called up soon. So he's not owned in a lot of leagues. He's a good um, you know fifth, sixth outfielder. So if you want to take a look at that, you can. Brandon Woodruff, he was diagnosed with a subscapular strain. Oh boy, um, he may be out for a while, so I'm a little bit concerned about that. And quickly with the reliever, a couple of relievers, Daniel Hudson was placed on the 60-day IL. Don't expect anything from him at least June, July. Rafael Iglesias, there's still no timetable for him to come back. He just had one bullpen session so far, so he's still got some time to go. Trevor May was placed on the IL with anxiety-related issues. Um, who's the closer there? I don't know because. Danny Jimenez also went on the IL. So I, that's another situation you really – I've been staying away from the, the A's. I don't know how many games they're even going to win. And Andres Munoz actually started throwing off a mound this week at 80%. That's actually pretty good. So there's a good chance he may need a one or two rehab games, but he should be back in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for the uh, great update. Uh, wow, just so so many things. Ruben, have you noticed that the injuries are just – Either more severe or or more for this year. It's I haven't looked at the hard numbers, but it definitely is up, right? If it's up, it's up only a little bit. And again, I think it has to do with the World Baseball Classic. The teams really? didn't have a true yes, they, the teams didn't have a true full spring training. Um, they the players who would normally get the reps. Other other players got the reps. It, it's it something feels a little bit off. It, it may be. The tackiness of the for pitchers, maybe the tackiness of the ball, because you saw what happened to Max Scherzer. He got he even got suspended for ten days. He's appealing it, but there's something different with the balls this year. And I think the fact that the that the pitchers are getting injuries a lot quicker this year. Usually it doesn't happen this right away, but it's you, the pitchers are getting hurt a lot more. The relievers are getting hurt a lot more. I think there's something going on there. I think there may have been something with the World Baseball Classic again because it wasn't a complete spring. It was a broken spring. Um, that may be, I, I mean, a, a pitcher we didn't mention is Miles Michaelis. He, he's not performing well. He pitched during the World Baseball Classic. So, uh, you know, there's some question marks with that. Um, 
Uh, it's, it's very hard to tell, but I think the numbers are up a little bit for this year. So we have a major announcement. Here it is. ATC projections, which we've never done rest of season, has now up on fan graphs. Oh, boy. So you can now see during the season, and this will update nightly, what ATC would say is uh, the projection for each player. Only caveat, though, is that the playing time is not going to be managed by me. The playing time is actually going to be fed by the Fangraphs depth charts run by Jason Martinez at Roster Resource. And so the system that you will see on there is called ATCDC, which is all the ATC rates, meaning homer per, homer per at bat and strikeout burning pitched. But uh, the rates are ATC and uh, playing time is per Fangraphs. Uh, a lot of discussion as to why, but uh, as you know, ATC is more of a, you know, there's some manual work into it. It's hard for me to do this on a nightly basis, and uh, we wanted the users to really get the right playing time scaled correctly, and, you know, it does it automatically overnight. So uh, we're going with that for this year, uh, and so you can see it. It's, it's in the auction calculator as well. So you can see what ATC says in terms of dollars, what they're worth the rest of the season. It's on the player pages. You can compare them to other projections. You can download the whole set of projections if you're uh, a member of Fangraphs. And also, you can see ATC projected playoff odds and projected standings. See what percentage chance your favorite team has of making the playoffs, all powered by the ATC projections. Major, major, major stuff over at Fangraphs. Very happy. It's been a couple years coming. Finally up there. Uh, so very, very, very excited. Are you guys as excited as I am? Yes. Yes, of Absolutely. course. We like to see how these projections work out because we want to see if we should be using ATC next year and the year after. Yes. Well, so far it's been a good bet. Uh, the preseason projections, and uh, although it's not at, well, because obviously the playing time is a major component, so uh, I'm not going to say the accuracy is going to be as much as it is preseason, but it's still going to be fantastic as per my tests of prior years. So go for it. You won't be disappointed. All right. That is the end of our show. I want to uh, thank Sky Dombrowski for coming on the show this was a phenomenal episode and you know please do give a listen to him he's on with Lou Blossie uh every week on the podcast he's also uh he's also um on Sirius except or you know what why don't you uh, introduce all the stuff that, that you're uh, working on and on Sky uh, as there's a lot of stuff that you do well we've got the Fantastics Insider Baseball show uh Saturday and Sunday mornings <clears throat> Sirius uh, XM channel 87 from 11 a.m to 1 p.m we're Sandwiched in there between Dr. Roto and Clay Link, usually. Uh, then we've got uh, we've got writers on staff at InsiderBaseball.com that uh, I think I did Monday nights, and I'm actually writing tomorrow night. Um, and then, of course, we've got the podcast where we usually throw one or two up there a week between Lou and Brandon Camerman and I. So we got some stuff going on. Uh, it's a lot of similar things to uh, to what you guys do, so uh, we overlap pretty well. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come next man up. I also have a weekly article on Rotobowler coming out every weekend with injury updates to help you with your fab for that Sunday night. There you go. I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotobowler. My Twitter handle is ATCNY. ATC projections now up rest of season on Fangraphs exclusively. And, of course, you can listen to us right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs each and every week. 
All right. Well, once again, thank you so much, Sky Dombrowski, for being our guest on today's show. And for all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.